Strachan and Bell together. There's Cooper breaking through. A chance now. This will be the fourth ball for Aberdeen. And Cooper puts it in wide. Close by Bishop. Well, suddenly it's become a rout. Of course, when things are going wrong against you, you don't get the breaks of the ball. Cooper in with Stewart. He didn't really know where the ball was, but he got the break. And as you say, it's a schoolboy's dream being able to take your time. Knowing that really, all you've got to do is crack it into the back of the net. So we're back here again then. 11 months on from being unveiled as a new Don's boss, Stephen Glass was dismissed just 40 games into his tenure. The beauty of doing a podcast for Aberdeen fans is that you know what we've got here. You saw how anemic things were and how much of a soft centre we continued to have. We don't have to spend any time tonight recapping on how we got here. You know So this show is, as much as it's possible to be, forward-looking. To ask what might change around the new head coach or manager and to consider the options ahead. Now, joining me to do that tonight, fresh from agreeing with me on Saturday's podcast that Dave Cormack definitely wouldn't pull the trigger, it's Martin Clunas. Martin, our reputation for being defiantly not in the know continues. It really does, and I really want. I really, while I've got you, I want to thank you as well for not pointing out my obvious mistake and think because I th- thought that the Dundee United game was this Saturday. So, uh, cheers for not pointing that out. No, we've got another week till statue time. Don't worry. Um, then it's uh, now traditional that the show following a managerial dismissal on this podcast, uh, Ben Palmer is on. So we're delighted to be respecting that tradition tonight. How are we, Ben? Yeah, Richard, I was ecstatic when you slid into my DMs at the weekend. <laughs> Here we go, another sacking. It's great to be back. <laughs> What's it like as a journalist when you're having to deal with sackings? Is it something you enjoy because it's a little bit different from the kind of match report uh, presser cycle? Or is it like a thousand transfer deadline days rolled into one? Uh, it's, a, it's a good question because, I mean, you, ne- you never ever like to see someone lose their job. But I suppose as a journalist at the same time, it's a good story. Um, and certainly, I mean, the Aberdeen uh, story with Glass being appointed so recently and the Cormac factor and who does he go for next, it's a great story. But of, of course, you you certainly don't like to see anybody losing their job. Now, lastly, um, having had to sit and suffer that fur part performance from his uh, BBC studio on Saturday with the likes of Alan Preston taking the piss out of him, I'm guessing Richard Gordon might want a bit of a vent tonight. <laughs> uh, yes, um, let, I mean, I'm, I'm similar mindset to Ben. Uh, I would have loved uh, the Stephen Glass project to have worked. Um, I think I was probably more open to it in the first instance than a lot of other fans were. Uh, I didn't see anything wrong with trying something that was entirely new and different to what we'd had in the previous seven or eight years. Um, but it has been painful, I'm afraid. And um, yes, I, I think bottom line is, while I agree with Ben, it's it's never nice to see someone, and especially a good guy, you know, losing his job. Uh, it wasn't working, and I think the correct decision has ultimately been taken. Yeah, and that decision came through on Sunday morning, and um, as you've already heard, it caught us a little bit by surprise, and I don't think we were the only ones uh, scrambling to keep up. Whilst the sacking of Derek McInnes last March and the subsequent appointments of a new team felt a little bit pre-planned. You can have your own ideas of exactly how pre-planned. Um, this felt like a, a fairly urgent but probably necessary reaction to events. Ben, I'm just wondering uh, how much did the fact that Dave Cormack was actually at Fur Park on Saturday to witness that performance and perhaps mm-hmm. even um, more precisely the reaction to that performance, how much do you think that influenced things? I think I think it was a huge factor. I know Dave Cormack's based in the United States for the bulk of the year, um, but he's probably more attuned to the mood music of supporters 
than most club owners in the Premiership, just because of the fact he uses Twitter, he's a fan himself, he'll know what fans will be feeling. Um, but being there in person and seeing that sort of anger and frustration and venom from the stands at the end, I'd imagine it would have been a very, very unpleasant experience for, for Cormac at the weekend. I mean, we all know how much he invested in, in Stephen Glass. Um, he obviously he, he wanted to appoint this young manager. He, he saw it was a long-term kind of appointment, I suppose, and, and someone who was really going to take the club on this journey of attacking fast football. He was a young manager, but as much as that was the intention, I mean, it, it, it just unravelled spectacularly and when when the crowd turns and in, in the court of opinion uh, public opinion you're finished i mean there's not much else that a chairman can do i think the, even the biggest of stephen glass supporters would have found it difficult to to say that he could turn it around between now and the end of the season and i, and I think it's it's a fully it's a fully justified decision by cormac Richard, you've already said words i think a lot of us would share about the fact that um it was a a different direction, an appointment which was uh, different to some of the managers who might have been in the frame. And I think genuinely a lot of people were supportive of it, but I think the suspicion over the way that recruitment process was handled always lingered and it became quite an easy stick to beat Stephen Glass with. Yeah, um, no, I mean, there, there are plenty who feel he, he got the job simply because he was Dave Cormack's mate. Uh, I've seen that said so many times. Um, look, I've got no doubt that the fact that Dave was there at the weekend was a, a major factor in the decision being taken on the back of that performance and, and yet another defeat and going out of the cup. That is not a conversation that Dave Cormack would have had with Stephen Glass over the phone. If, if he was going to have to sack Stephen and clearly he felt that um, the time was getting close then he was going to do it in person because um, they have a very, very strong relationship and he wasn't he wasn't going to make a transatlantic phone call to sack him. So, I mean, I think absolutely um, there was an element of it being preempted, but he'd have been there in the hope that somehow, suddenly, they were going to find the winning formula again. Um, so, yeah, I, it, look, it, it's definitely, that definitely played a part. Um, I don't think Stephen ever really got over that suspicion. Um, we played some decent football the first few games of the season, started scoring goals, um, but when we hit that losing run, um, it was a stick that clearly an awful lot of the fans were using to beat him with at that point. Um, I think he was. there was no chance he was going to sack Stephen Glass last autumn or into the early part of the winter when we had the the losing run. And I must admit, like you guys, I thought it was getting close, but I didn't think that he would um, he would act last weekend. I, I thought even after, I think we've all watched Aberdeen over many, many years. I can think back to performances that you just knew were going to cost a manager yeah. his job. I didn't actually have that feeling on Saturday night. There was the intense disappointment, not just of losing, but of getting out of the cup once again. But I didn't expect on the Sunday to be dealing with um, another manager having been fired from Pitori. So, you know, there was a wee element of surprise for me, but I, I, I keep going back to the right, to the, the, the final analysis. Was it the right call? Yes, it was, because I just don't think that it was, it was showing any signs that it was about to turn and it was going to start working. What do you make of the briefings that came out this week um, about the fact that um, Stephen, Dave Cormack was on the verge of uh, sacking Stephen Glass earlier, but his players the, came out and said, no, don't do it, we believe in him, that sort of thing. It doesn't really fit with his very public defence of his manager before. No, it doesn't. Um, look, I don't know. I um, I certainly didn't get that line from any of the players. Um, and I think everyone probably saw Christian Ramirez's um, response <laughs> to the, the sacking when the news came out. Um, so it would appear that he, he obviously had the backing of some of the players. But whenever a manager goes, you'll always have a section of the, the squad will be disappointed, a section won't really care, and a section will be absolutely overjoyed because they don't get on with them or they're not getting a game. Um, so it, it changes very quickly. 
um, a new manager comes in um, and they just get on with working for the new manager. Um, so I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know how much store to put in that. I do know Dave Cormack and I don't, I'd be surprised that if he was actually about to sack the manager, that uh, he would allow the players to sway him. Um, he's a pretty determined and ruthless character, Dave. And um, once he's made a decision, generally speaking, he will carry it through. Again, looking forward, what do you think about the the chances are of any change in direction of the overall football strategy? Obviously, we've um, we've changed head coach, but I don't think that's likely to indicate any change in either the split of responsibilities or indeed this commitment to player pathways, exciting football, etc., etc. It all comes down to who the the, the you know, the successful candidate or who they want, really. As it stands, we probably won't see very much. I mean, whoever comes in will probably, you know, I'm pretty sure we'll want to bring in, you know, his or her, his own coaching, own coaching team. But I would be very surprised if we see a change, a change immediately. I think that that is something that I think we'll, we'll you know, in terms of, you know, the we've obviously seen like, so like Neil Simpson as Pathways Manager, you know, Stephen Gunn as Director of Football, all that sort of stuff. I think that's something that they'll, that he will want to stick with. The club have looked at that kind of structure and have decided that's the way they do want to go. But if someone no applies for it or there's an outstanding candidate who maybe wants to, to change that ever so slightly, there there may be some wiggle room. But I would I would be very surprised if we see a big change. Ben, um, I wonder if we have been putting the horse before the cart here a little bit because all the, the sort of fine words in that football strategy document none of it happens the momentum and, and the impetus for any of it happening doesn't happen without a winning first team mm-hmm. uh, you, you're never ever going to get a club appoint a manager and say we're going to play miserable ugly football <laughs> and we're going to be rubbish every week and we're going to grind out one now result i mean every single appointment in history i mean the maloney one at hibs a couple of months ago was just littered with these type of things attacking overloads in certain areas of pitch and, and all this kind of stuff. It's just words. Of course you want a manager to come in and play attacking football. Every single club in the world wants a manager to come in and play and play lovely football and and, and, and win games at the same time. But you're right in saying that for a club to prosper and, and whatever its aims are off the pitch, on the pitch, you ultimately need a winning team because I mean it might be noble you might do all these community things that are great and you, you might have a real sort of presence in the community but if the fans the, the hardcore fans who go on a Saturday are completely apathetic towards the product and, and the Saturday aspect of it they're not really going to care about what else the club's doing um, and yeah. it's, it's going to be a shrug of the shoulders and, and ultimately I mean while the next manager, and look, I'm sure whoever Aberdeen appoint as our next manager, there will be a mention of attacking football. We're not going to say he's coming in to grind out results. But ultimately, we need a manager to win games because that, that that's what fans are interested in at, at the end of the day. Yeah, I, I think after a while, with the same manager, Martin, it becomes uh, you know something you can aspire to, especially in a situation like Scotland where it's going to be next to to impossible let's be honest to beat not just one team but two teams who are spending five to six times your wage budget in a league season cups absolutely there's a puncher's chance there but leagues probably not going to happen so you know you have the situation where 38 games of your season you're playing for the sort of other prizes if you like such as european qualification but the bottom line is that if we have a winning team fans are going to be much less concerned with the quality of the football. Now, I think the quality of the football in the first couple of years of Derek McInnes' reign improved season on season, got better and better. But, you know, we were winning. If we'd still been winning at the same rate in the last couple of years, there's no way the um, resentment and the criticism would have been quite so vocal. As Ben say, says there, though, it's you know, people People want to see, want to see victories first and foremost. And um, as, as you mentioned, though, Derek McInnes he came in when he was manager, and we were we were winning games, um, and it was it was pretty good, and it it got better and better. As you say, we're look we're playing for sort of best of the rest, unfortunately, in the league. 
but the thing that I, the thing that I, the advantage a club like Aberdeen has that may be over, you know, and I know league position maybe you know whatever, but you know has over some of the lesser teams is that you know we're not going to be we're not going to have the the huge turnover season on season that some of these other teams will have like. You know, you look at look at Livingston, you look at Ross County, you look at even Dundee, where you know they're bringing in guys for a year, maybe eighteen months. So Aberdeen have got, Aberdeen have got that advantage. So it potentially is, you know, not I wouldn't say easier, but there's the opportunity to build something um, that allows you to then, even if you start off, you know, just coming in and you know with the, with the words of you know we're going to do the attacking football, we're going to do exciting football stuff. No, if you you can come in and say that, but if you you it gives you the opportunity to come in, maybe try and you know shore things up, you know, make us harder to beat, um, which is also something you no know, McInnes did. I mean, you no, know, you no, know, he strengthened that central midfield position, which made us made us you know very difficult to beat. Um, so a manager can come in, and at Aberdeen you can bring in bring in players with a little bit more of a long term ideal. Um, and that's something that potentially you know, could could help, and then that's how you get up the table because you know consistency is you know, is is everything um, in football. I'm thinking about the objectives, the aims that um, were outlined, and I don't think there's anything wrong with any of them. We would all love to have seen everything come to pass in terms of the pathways, the young players, the exciting football. So every manager, and whoever the new man is, and I'm no doubt we'll be talking about that in a moment or two, um, we'll, we'll have those objectives. Uh, but I totally agree with the guys. You, you've got to find that balance. And for me, it's absolutely crucial. I mean, this is, this is crucial not just for the club, but it's for Dave Cormack's reputation as well, now that he gets this spot on. You're absolutely right. I mean, the words used in that strategy document are also woolly enough, basically, that they could be adapted to almost any situation. What I do find odd is, with regards to the list of candidates, Richard, is that there seems to be a dismissal that any of the sort of known SPFL names would be able to build something that could be exciting, that could be good. I think that flies in the face of what we have seen, you know, with the last manager but one. Um, yeah, I, I don't see any reason why some of the names that have... I, I mean, for me, this is not a time to experiment. This is not a time to bring in someone who doesn't understand the peculiarities of Scottish football um, and who doesn't understand the demands that the Aberdeen fans rightly, I think, place on the team and on the man who's in charge of that team. So, um, I mean, there are candidates there. And, and look, Jim Goodwin would appear to be the clear favourites. Um, he would certainly be the one I'd be going for. And I think if you look, I know he had um, he had a tough spell in the middle of this season, largely down to the fact that so many of his key players weren't available and um, they were hit by COVID probably harder than any other club, um, St Mirren. But I've watched and listened to Jim Goodwin as he's progressed through his managerial career um, with the resources that he would have at Pataudry. I absolutely believe that he would be capable of meeting the aims and objectives that the chairman and the fans have, um, and also just reviving the team, reviving the club. What about, again to you, Richard, what about the, the structure internally? You know, I think Martin's right. I think there might be some room for a little bit of uh, wiggle room in terms of the influence of a, of a head coach on, for example, the... Uh, the incoming transfers we had you know Stephen Glass back in August was saying that he had the final say on players coming in is it your understanding that that's still the case or did that evolve when the head of recruitment came in no I mean I've, I've been told um, directly that the manager has the final say and I'm sorry the manager should always have the final say um, yes I can understand these days why there is a recruitment process and why they want to make sure, or as best they can, that um, they are bringing the right players in. I'm afraid that hasn't happened. I think there have been good signings made during the past um, nine months or so, but I think there have been some big mistakes made as well. Um, so 
it has got to be the man. Look, the manager pays for this job, doesn't he? He's the one who is culpable. He's the one who's responsible. So he has to have the final say. I've asked that question directly, and I was told yes, he did have the the final say. Mm-hmm. And I would. The, the other point is, that, of course, whoever the new manager is, he is never stronger than right at the start. Of course, and, um, he has to make it clear, one hundred percent clear, how he sees that side of the job um, evolving. Um, and uh, uh, look, if we're talking Jim Goodwin, Jim Goodwin will absolutely want to have the final say on whoever it is he's bringing in because his job depends on it. So Ben, if we have an agreement here that neither the, the structure or the strategy is going to change a great deal, does that mean that maybe the emphasis on sort of job specs, if you like, of the head coach will maybe change a little bit for this round of interviews compared to the last round of last round of interviews? Aye, um, I mean, I, I remember kind of um, when when Glass was first appointed, um, one of the buzz terms that Cormac used was emerging talent and and how we wanted a young manager and he cited the likes. Of, I think even Stephen Gerrard, Jesse Marsh, and and guys like that. And I think that what I'm certainly hearing out of Patoja now is that they're looking for someone experienced and has been around the block a little bit. And I don't, I don't think it needs to be essential, but but it's Scottish experience. I just think it's experience of coming in and basically not being the first um, full time job, just being able to come in, handle a changing room full of big characters and be capable of grinding out results. Um, but as we as we've touched upon it, it's such a it's such a critical appointment for Aberdeen. Um, I know effectively the season's over in terms of the Cups, but fourth, while the league table doesn't look pretty at the minute, fourth is a realistic aim if with this squad of players, you, you would have to say. And fourth essentially guarantees you some form of European football and in, in, in the cash that that brings in. You don't want to be losing a year on on Hearts or, or even Dundee United, you, you, you really need, for whoever comes in, that, that probably, as well as restoring confidence to, to a shattered change room, that, that probably has to be the target for them. And, and, and certainly, an experienced manager, you, you would have to think, has, has more chance of doing that. Martin, let's just uh, spend a second on the Atlanta link, because um, I know that's been the focus of some conversations in the past few days. Um, it, it was no doubt a coup, at least personally, for Dave Cormack to get some of the big hitters at Atlanta on the board at Aberdeen. And the hard cash, well, that's always going to be welcomed. Um, but the attempts to kind of bolster the first team, and I dare say probably both ways, I think, who was the lad, was it Mul- Mulvaney that we recommended to them? I don't think he lasted too long in the Atlanta first team either. Um, but but they failed. So, you know, what, what are we getting out of this, at least to benefit the top end of the football pyramid. I'm not really too sure, to be honest. I mean, there's there, there is the benefit of having that scout the scouting network over there. I mean, there's without without this Atlanta network, Atlanta networking. Um, I don't think there's any way we would have signed Christian Ramirez, for example. Do you reckon? Um, I thought it was because Alan Russell worked with him. I think there's. I think potentially there was that was something that was done. No, Alan Russell being involved won't have hurt. Um, but no, and I'm not will it be will it be wrong there? No. But I do think do think that was particularly one of the, the, the probably one of if not the only real success that's came out of this link up on the face on the face value of it. There, there there will be other things. There there'll be things at boardroom level and there'll be that kind of stuff that we won't see or truthfully that don't really mar- matter to us that will be you know an advantage and will be helping out. It's about the top end. It's about the team. It's about players. I'm not I'm not too sure there's 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 much on face value that we're getting from the link at the moment. I'm glad you're willing to be wrong in public, uh, Martin, because um, right. otherwise we'd have, we'd have stopped the podcast a long, long time ago. <laughs> but I think there was a lot that Dave Cormack, um, aside from the first team, he hoped to pick up in terms of this link-up. Um, just from a commercial point of view, um, how Atlanta run in that sense or how the operation runs there and making the whole, um, and I hate this phrase, but the whole kind of match the experience a better one for the flat for the fans, for the supporters. Um, and he was hoping to tap into various things. They, they've looked very closely in terms of how Atlanta operate on a match-to-match basis and, and what they do in the day. But the bottom line is that, that we as Scottish football fans 
are essentially um, governed by one thing and one thing only, and it is the results of the team. And if they are not going well, everything else is 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 a waste of time. To be honest, it, it's going to have no positive impact unless the first team at the top level is doing well. Then. If it is doing well, then you can introduce various other things and uh, perhaps tap into some of what has been done in the MLS. Ben, I mean, let's just get your opinion on this. Is it just modern football buzz philosophy have like a strategic football partnership? Every Scottish club seems to have one. Aye. Um, as a journalist, all you can do is ask a question and every time that we spoke to somebody from Atlanta United, the question was, what are you getting out of it? And it was just bluster about um, synergies and working practices and all this kind of stuff. It, it, ultimately, I think we just wanted to see what how a club like Aberdeen run, an older kind of club, a club that's been around for generations, uh, to see what they can kind of feed into to what they do over there. I think the, bi- the big benefits for Aberdeen out of this partnership are probably the commercial aspects of it. Um, American money men, looking over at Aberdeen and thinking, well, I might invest a little bit of cash in that. For, for me, that's the biggest benefit. The scouting thing, I mean, I, I don't know how how much that really helps now. Scouting's a global thing. Everybody's got a Scout account on their, on their laptop, so I don't buy into that side of it too much. Uh, but certainly from a commercial commercial point of view, I think it's, it's important for Aberdeen to have something like that. So, without going down just the latest list from Mick Bookie, um, let's take a sort of broad look at the candidates that are out there and the names that we're hearing. You know, who knows, maybe somebody believes that the next person that's going to be Aberdeen manager isn't a name that's been mentioned yet. I look back to last year and it's surprising how quickly opinion coalesced around Stephen Glass. Um, I mean, it was 24 hours maybe, I think, uh, after the after uh, Derek McInnes' dismissal, when even idiots like us could see it was probably going to be Stephen Glass, we appear to be reaching the point of that coalition around Jim Goodwin uh, for a number of reasons. Some of that, I think, has got to come from within the club. As last time round, Martin, is it fair to say there are varying degrees of apathy and, well, some downright resentment to some of the names that are out there? Oh, there definitely is. I mean... No, um, Jim Goodwin is, you know, Jim Goodwin's gone down. No, emerges the favourite. Even he um, has had some or some negative or some negative stuff about him. You know, I mean, he, you know, he's done he's done a decent job at St Mirren, but people have pointed out that they have had loot. They've had you know, some pretty poor runs in their league with their league form. They've had some very good ones as well. I know, saying that you no, know, he probably. You know, if he went on a you no, know, if he went on a winless run like he has done at, at St Mirren, then he'd probably be out the door at Aberdeen. It, it's it's polarizing, and you no know, people are always going to want your favorite. You no, know, what they you know their favorites or their names they've come up with. You know, um, you know we've seen everybody from sort of your usual kind of, you know, these English names that like your Neil Warnock. I've seen again. You know, people Paulo De Canio is another one people want. Um, all who, these kind of, who? All these name kind of... people. I think we need to name these people. Who wants oh, Pally De Canio? I'm not. I'm not calling out. I'm not. I'm, I'm me. Not, I'm not, me. I'm as a journalist. This, me. I'm not doing this podcast to be calling people out. No, I'm not. I'm not doing. I'm not, not doing this to settle scores. But we've seen those. We've seen those type of names. Then you've seen your kind of, you know, um, your 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 kind of UK based based guys. It does all seem to be pointing um, towards towards good, um, Goodwin at the moment. Because it is it is so important now that after what was an experiment in Stephen Glass, um, who la- no, lasted less than a year in the job, Cormac has to get this one right. There's no, it will be unforgivable if we if we we spend another eleven months, twelve months with with the wrong name, um, just drifting away. Uh, yes, but that's what we said after Roy Aiken and after Alex Miller and uh, <laughs> etc. Yeah, but we didn't have a podcast then, Richard. So it's different. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we, we can't keep inviting Ben on every 11 months after all. Um, Richard. You, you probably just phoned in Radio Scotland and bothered Richard on the call in after that scene. <laughs> I remember that call. <laughs> Richard, a name that um, has been popular online and news emerged today that the club had tried to add him to, uh, tried to get him in for talks. Uh, Knudsen of uh, Bodeglimt. Something about that reminds me of when 
the bid from Martin Boyle came out back in August. Um, yeah, look, for me, um, Kato Knutsen was never going to be a, a starter. <laughs> they, they've won the um, Norwegian League for the last couple of seasons. They're, they're playing in European football. He's about to take on um, Celtic. So, uh, I, I mean, I think that's a pipe dream. And I, I think I made it quite clear that I, and I know that uh, Willie Miller, I saw Willie in his column, was saying, like, you know, cast the net far and wide. I'm, I'm just being really traditional and boring here. I don't want the net cast far and wide. <laughs> I, want, I want a nice little wee net that um, encompasses somebody who knows and understands the crazy world of Scottish football. Jim certainly does. And um, I just think he... Look, it changes, doesn't it? A few months back, Callum Davidson would have been top of any list. Yeah, absolutely. So um, there is clearly always at risk in appointing a new manager. I think what you need to do in the present circumstances is minimise the risks as far as you possibly can. And for me, Jim Goodwin... Um, ticks so many boxes and I think he is ready to, to make that step up and to take on a bigger challenge, to take on a bigger club. Um, I just think he would do a very good job as Aberdeen manager. So it sounds like certainly your uh, belief in Jim Goodwin is based as much in what he brings to the table as opposed to just a retrenchment to a more traditional Scottish appointment oh, oh, based totally. on the experiment previously. Yeah, yeah, and because I think he's proved himself. He's he's come up through his managerial career. Um, and even right at the start, I thought there were really good signs. I mean, look, I, for me, Jack Ross ticks pretty much, or just about as many boxes as well. He, he's, he's at a setback, obviously, Jack. Um, but there was a spell where he had Hibs playing some of the best football in the country. Now. Martin Boyle was a big part of that, obviously, and Hibs no longer have that. And, you know, they, this is not a podcast to concern ourselves about Hibs, but they've clearly had their issues as well in terms of trying to move on, having replaced him. Um, and I would imagine there is the equivalent of this fine podcast somewhere in Leith that is currently, there's a gnashing and wailing going on um, over Sean Maloney. So, um and I think a lot of people felt the Sean Maloney appointment was a, a very good and positive one. And um, it does perhaps point to the fact that you cannot be guaranteed and that things do take time. Um, occasionally, manager comes in and, and everything just falls into place. And there is that, that improvement, gradual improvement over a period of time that we saw when Aberdeen appointed Dennis McInnes. Um, so, yes, there are risks. But I, for me, if I'm in Dave Cormack's shoes, I'm looking to make it as um, well as close as I po can, possibly can, to any kind of guarantee that it, it looks like it's going to be a good fit. And I just think Jim fits. It's not, we're not talking here about, you know, one of the old regulars who gets trotted out for every job over the last 10 years. You know, Jim is still a, a relatively young manager, but he's got a lot good experience now. He's had to deal with a lot of things. And for me, he's dealt with them very well. Yeah, it's yeah. worth pointing out that Jim Goodwin's uh, a good five years younger than Stephen Glass, I think. Um, we said already tonight, fans, fans will ultimately get behind a winning team, and um, I honestly can't think of a manager greeted with more apathy amongst the Aberdeen support than Derek McInnes, and that, that went pretty well. I think most of us would agree. Ben, basically convince me it's not going to be Jim Goodwin, because it is going to be Jim Goodwin, isn't it? Just to follow up on Richard's point, if if there's an if there's an opportunity to put the boot into Hibs and take a pot shot at Hibs, never ever give up that opportunity. Dive in two footed and take that chance to put the boot into Hibs. Um, Richard's point as well. I mean, like timing's a funny thing. Six months ago, you would have said go down to Perth with however many pounds St Johnston want and get Callum Davidson. Jim Goodwin's stock is high at the minute because. The, we've started 2022, um, we've just batted everybody out the way. We, we, it's kind of what St Mirren have been saying we've been going to do for the last couple of years. We, we seem to start every season by saying we're going to be a top six club this year. And I mean, in every single season, it's kind of a bit slow. And, but 
and you can kind of see this what he's been building over the last couple of years kind of come to fruition. Certainly in January and February, I'm not, I'm not going to go over the top and say Jim Goodwin is the man that Aberdeen needs right now, but his stock's high, um, and it's, it can it can sometimes be very difficult to to poach a manager whose stock's high. I mean, it's too often as well, managers who, who have opportunities to move on, they don't take them. Um, and I think certainly there's... There seems to be plenty and uh, doing the rounds in, in the paper saying that Jim Goodwin fancies this job. It, it looks like a good marriage for me. Um, Aberdeen needing someone who knows the Scottish game. Jim Goodwin, stock high, probably looking for that step up. And, well, timing, timing's a funny thing. Martin, what say you about uh, Goodwin? Um, I think I think he's the, he's the favourite for favourite for a reason because I think you know you look at the names that are available or names that probably would be considered, um, and I think his one his name his name stands out you know, and because but and partly because he isn't one of these you know the, the tried and tested names that you've seen over and over you know where they've done you know they've managed maybe three four or five other clubs in Scotland, um, and he has you know, he has impressed he's done he's he's done a very good job at St Mirren. Um, so, I, I, I would, I can't really, I can't see of any more. And in terms of your, your, when you're picking somebody who is, who is going to be, like I said, I suppose you would say called the, the best, the best option for what we're looking for right now. In terms of it, it's not a gamble. He know, he knows the league. You know, he knows Aberdeen. No, he knows Aberdeen well enough. You know, he's managed, he's managed, managed and played against, played against plenty of times. Um, and I think that. I think it's like a, it's a it's actually a very sensible option. I don't I don't think there's much I don't see there's much risk in it at all. So this time next week, we, you're not going to be sitting here going, "Oh no, what a boring, predictable appointment after a nil nil draw with uh, Motherwell." No, I'll be giving you know you give a new manager a you give the new manager a chance. After I think after Stephen Glass's first game, I don't I didn't want him out the door. So um, Jim Goodwin, if he's the new manager, will get exactly the same courtesy. Yeah. Can, can I just jump in and make a point here? I mean, Aberdeen has had the first approach knocked back. Um, I don't know if they've gone in again. Simply, I haven't been told if they've gone in again. It seems to me that Aberdeen just want a chat with Jim Goodwin just to see if he does fancy it and have that sort of formal kind of interview process. Now, who knows? I mean, Jim Goodwin might have the interview. Uh, the Aberdeen board might get cold feet and say he's not our man. But from having... Dealt with Jim Goodwin and been in press conferences with Jim Goodwin and post-match, pre-match stuff, um, just sort of blevers when he's coming into a press room. I find it very difficult to imagine that he, he would go into an interview with the Aberdeen Board of Directors and fail to impress. Um, as a person, as a talker, he's a very convincing guy um, and, and from that aspect I, I quite like him. I can see the sparking outrage, Richard, but um, is there a chance that Goodwin doesn't want us? I think he would take it. Um, I don't pretend to know for sure what is going on in Jim Goodwin's mind, but um, Jim strikes me as a, you know, somebody who has his career kind of mapped out in his mind. You know, he had three years at Alloway, three years now at St Mirren. I think he's ready to make the step. Um, I would be very, very surprised if he were offered the role, that he didn't take it up. And I totally agree with Ben. Um, if he sits down in front of um, Dave Cormack and whoever else is involved in the recruitment process, I've got no doubt at all that he will convince them that he is the man to take Aberdeen forward. Um, if there is one thing, one downside, the only one I can really think of is... I think he's signed well. I think he's signed really good players for most positions. I think he's got the team structured well. I think defensively, they're organised. They're um, really difficult to break down. I think he's, he's signed some really good midfielders. He has signed a whole host of strikers who can't score goals. Um, and that sounds painfully familiar um, to <laughs> Aberdeen fans. Yes, let um, me just so, check so, when Curtis Main is out of contract. Yeah, um, it's an area that he hasn't been able to find a regular goal scorer. But he's, I say that in terms of a striker, but of course he's 
he managed to bring in Jamie McGrath and he scored plenty of goals. Uh, Connor Ronan's in a little rich vein of form from midfield as well right now. But um, yeah, I, I, if you're looking for a negative, that's about the only thing I can think of when it comes to, to Jim Goodwin. Uh, listen, the man in charge, Dave Comack, he's had a tumultuous uh, 12 months, basically. Let's all find one piece of advice for him. For me, it would be get off Twitter. Richard, maybe you can speak to that. Because you're definitely yeah. off Twitter, aren't oh, you? Oh, definitely. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, um, like, I, I've known Dave a long, long time. Um, he will not be enjoying the criticism that is coming his way right now. Um, I, and I don't know to what extent he trawls through the responses, but I've certainly, um, in correspondence with him and conversations with him, it's become pretty. It's become pretty clear that um, he is across what is going on. So, I think that would be um, a fine piece of advice. To, to be fair, I give him advice quite a lot, and he totally ignores <laughs> it. So. <laughs> um, Martin. What about yourself? What's the what's the one sage piece of advice you give Dave Cormack? The thing is, it's it's hard to look past the past the Twitter thing. I mean, don't make is that not a good thing though? But that he's there. Yeah, it it can be. His most recent stuff when he came out and says, "No, yo, I don't, I'm no, I don't want my words to be twisted and stuff like that." Well, <laughs> you're writing them yourself, mate. You're writing them yourself, <laughs> but more but more importantly, you no. Know, well, what to do is you've got a cl- you've got a club TV channel. You've got a club TV channel that I know is it's very good. You know, you know we've seen um, Mal and the rest of the guys do these interviews with the players and stuff like that. Just come out and come out and do an interview in the club channel or the club YouTube, so everybody can see it. It was towards the end of last year that there was going to be, he was going to do one of these you know open and honest Q and As, and it never it never arose, and that has that's irritated people as well. Uh, particularly when things start when when you're when you're winning games, nobody cares, nobody wants to hear from the chairman. Yeah. But when things are a bit, you know, a bit dodgy, you know, we're, you're, you're on a wee losing streak, um, and not playing so well, the last was people want to hear from the chairman. They want to hear what, you know, what's going on, what we're, what you're going to do about it. Well, they they want to hear that from a chairman who is so, who's so is so, so vocal on social media, um, and I think that's why you're right to say that he probably he probably no, I think he probably should be better, maybe, you know, a little a little less on it, um, because. You can't come on and be all things are wonderful and rosy and you no know, giving it all the I love Rowie stuff, but then hiding when things are bad. That's not how it works. You know what? Twenty years ago, when he was just chief executive, he um, and the website was probably in its infancy. He did like a, a sort of weekly newsletter thing, and to be oh. perfectly honest, that's probably a good way of getting a message across because you know it can't be spun it can't be clipped out to play on uh, you know to clip a little bit on um and stick it out on twitter to take the piss out of him it's it would get over what he wants to do yes it's old-fashioned but I, I wonder if that's maybe a better way forward if he wants to do that but you're right interviews on the club tv channel seem to have been in quite short supply i appreciate there have been perhaps more pressing concerns and you know Anything that he was going to say would get misconstrued. Uh, ben, yourself, do you have uh, do you have any words of wisdom for Dave? <laughs> words of wisdom, um, I would say probably just just don't overpromise. I mean, I know Dave's an ambitious guy and he, he wants a lot for the club, um, but when he when he promises things or maybe not promise, but he says it's ambitions that we want to be a top one hundred club and and what have you. These kind of things are then held against him, so. When incidents like Glass being sacked come up, people refer back to them. Um, and I would just say, whoever the new manager is, just don't overpromise um, what we're going to deliver. Yeah, it's difficult though, isn't it? Because you know people want to hear ambition, they want to see ambition yeah. from the chairman, and it's uh, you get accused of being unambitious if you know. And I'm sure if we do end up appointing Jim Goodwin, that that is a word that will be thrown about. Um, and you also need to try and sell Jim Goodwin as well. So you you do mm-hmm. need you do need to promise. Um, or have lofty kind of promises, if you will. So uh, it's it's just a, it is a tricky balance to get. But I suppose if you're asking me for my advice, I, that's the one thing I I would say. Yeah. All right. Um, briefly, St Johnston last night. It it was felt, I suppose, now like a bit of a, a placeholder and afterthought. But you know, I was glad of the game uh, this time yesterday because um, you know talking about football is preferable to 
talking about the uh, Sky Sportification of um, who might be the next manager. Martin, the first half, though, last night, it, it felt very much like a, this tactics and style we'd seen all season. We were perhaps a little unlucky to be behind. We did create some good opportunities, but it, it was slow. It was pretty laboured. It, it was, yeah. I mean, it's it's the usual, you know, um, people have people have complained you know, all season about this kind of, you know, the kind of constant passing across the pitch, you know, it not, not moving the ball quickly. And that's kind of what we saw. You're not going to change very much. I saw Barry Robson came out and said that he only had about 40, 40 45 minutes of a, of a proper session with the players. He's not going to imprint something new on the players, you know, what, three days after the game, particularly when, you know, he only found out on, well, we'll say Sunday morning that he was going to be in charge of the team. So I, I, I don't. I think it would be it would be silly to expect anything really that different from what we were used to, um, given that you know himself, um, Simi, and that were, you know, have been have been involved in the coaching anyway. So it's probably it was it was probably right to expect more of the same. But what we've seen though, it's you know it's, it's, some of it's not been good. Um, and you're right, we were we were unlucky to be behind. It's these silly mistakes in defence that that are that are cost us again. Uh, much like on Saturday when we went out the cup, you know, Joe Lewis makes a double save, and and who's and, and then somehow a St Johnston player is first to react to the ball. Part of the reason why Stephen Glass has lost his job because he's not been able to kind of stamp out that sort sort of stuff where we've just been making silly mistakes, um, particularly in defence. When you're trying to then get yourself back into games, just seeing it being so slow and ponderous, or you know. When we did go, when we did try and go long at times, um, it just no, it just wasn't working. You no, know, St Johnston, I mean, you'll see St Johnston spent the you know, twenty minute, their twenty minutes before the game, just shelling shots at their two centre backs, um, to head to head away, and so so when we're trying, we we then try to do that, and of course they're going to, of course they're going to win those headers. Ramirez isn't going to beat them, you know. That was a bit a naivety that we've seen sometimes this season, which I think unfortunately. Is one of the things that Glass's reign will be remembered for is trying something and an unwillingness to change, or to try something different from the norm. Now, whether it's because of the change in personnel, um, because of the shift that put Scott Brown back to centre half and uh, Connor Barron back to centre midfield, or whether it's because Barry Robson was able to instruct them at halftime to just play it a little bit quicker and to um, try and drive it forward a bit more from midfield. It seemed as if it was at least an attempt to be faster with the ball in the second half and some more ball carrying from that area too. A lot of post-match criticism towards Scott Brown. I'm weary of doing the kind of new broom thing with someone that was associated with the past regime. But Richard, last Richard, time we had you on was obviously just before the Carabag second leg. And just on the back of Scott Brown having had a good start to life here at Bedaudry and bringing that old aggression, shall we say, to a game at Tynecastle. Are you quite as convinced now that he brings to the team what you thought he was bringing back in August? I think in the main, yes. Um, whenever I see you guys see the whole of the game every week, and I don't see that, um, I see as much as I possibly can. But when I have seen them, um, I think Scott has done, well, he's certainly done better than most of the other signings that have been brought in. It's clearly, I mean, it hasn't, it hasn't been what we would have hoped. And, you know, you're getting Scott Brown, I guess, at a certain stage in his career. It's not like the kind of young, thrusting Graham Shinney that we had, completely dominating midfield. But for me, Scott Brown, and of course he's played in various positions as well um, throughout the, the course of the, the season. He's had one or two injury issues as well. Um, but over the piece, I mean, uh, there have been plenty negatives about the regime that has come to an end after 11 months. Scott Brown, for me, has been one of the positives. Ben, what do you think his future looks like? Um, I, I do wonder if um, there might be a way found for him to move back to Parkhead in the summer. I, I, I don't think anybody knows, because um, I suppose when you appoint a player as part of a coaching staff at the start of the season, you don't really do it with the possibility of sacking the manager midway through the season in mind. Um, I mean, Scott Brown came to Aberdeen to start his coaching career um, and be a part of Glass's thing. So I, I don't think 
in terms of him personally, I mean, this is guess. I, I can't say this is with any sort of insider knowledge. I mean, I think he'd maybe like to continue being a coach in that aspect. Um, I, mean, I know Barry Robson's kind of sung his praises as well in the last couple of days um, and saying what he brings from a, from a coaching point of view. But it depends what the new manager wants as well, of course. Um, and I, I would imagine in any sort of interview process, if it's Jim Goodwin, for example, the, the Scott Brown question is one that will have to be asked. Was it a two-year deal with Scott Brown signed last summer? Yeah. Yeah, so you're, you're going to have this um, situation in the summer, uh, this coming summer, where he, he's contracted to the club for another year. Is the role that he originally came north for um, as a coach still going to be there? I mean, it was always kind of felt as well that he'd probably retire at the end of these two years at Aberdeen. He would slowly kind of move from player to full-time coach over the course of two years. So, look, I don't have the answers to that question, but it's it's certainly going to be one that's um, is going to be raised in the coming weeks or the coming days when, when we appoint a new manager. Martin, uh, it's a pretty classic trademark caretaker manager ploy to give one of the young kids a start, particularly if that caretaker manager has been in charge of one of the youth teams. Uh, Paul Sheevan, of course, gave uh, Calvin Ramsey and Jack McKenzie first starts. Last night, Conor Barron, he impressed, but it's also important not, as much as we want to cling on to something positive, it is important not to go overboard. Oh, of course it is, yeah. Um, you, know, you, don't want to put, you don't want to put too much pressure or these young guys, um, but yeah, he did. He did impress. He was one of the few that came out of the Motherwell game with any credit when he came on towards the end. It is a, as you say, it's a it's a caretaker manager ploy to to try and you know, get the fa- get maybe get maybe get the fans on side. Not that he was in there as like some sort of charity because you know, he's 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 in there because he's good enough to play, um, and he and he certainly showed that. And um, I suppose that's something that any any manager looking in. Has would maybe be thinking it's like okay, there's a there's a there is a decent um, group of young players I've got there as well. I suppose maybe the cynic in you would say that the, the idea behind behind Robson maybe starting one of these young players was to show that he's maybe you no know, should be could be considered for the job. You know, um, given that there's all the chat about you no know, pathways and getting you know young players into the team. I'm very impressed with Connor Barr. I'm looking forward to seeing seeing more of him as the season goes on. Okay, um, a, a broadcast with any hint of professionalism at this point would also go on to preview the Motherwell game, but frankly, after last Saturday, no. Um, so, <laughs> thank you for listening, and thank you for taking part tonight. Richard Gordon, thank you. Guys, uh, thank you. Always a pleasure, never a chore. <laughs> to Ben Farber. Hi, thanks for having me on. I look forward to seeing you when the next manager sacked. Yes, let's hope it's uh, without wishing to, uh, you know, keep you away from here, Ben. Let's hope it's more than 11 months. Uh, and to Martin Clunas, thank you. Cheers, Richard. All right, so uh, that was basically a one-hour advertisement for uh, Jim Goodwin, and uh, we'll be back when he's probably in the hot seat uh, this time next week. Until then, come on, you Reds. Right.